The book of Revelation is a book for martyrs. It's a book of encouragement for those who are about to shed their blood for the sake of Christ. And it's important to understand this central fact because that helps us trace the narrative and the point and the goal of the book of Revelation to help the saints endure in light of persecution. Christ's bride shares in his glorious inheritance by following Christ through the path of faithful witness, through death and resurrection. The book of Revelation begins with the glorified Christ and it ends with his glorified bride, the church. And she conquers by imitating her savior, the slain lamb, and she herself will experience a death and resurrection. The book of Revelation is a book of hope. This is Understanding Revelation. Revelation chronicles the ascent of God's martyrs from their earthly suffering to their heavenly throne. Martyrs from generations past cry out for vengeance from the base of a heavenly altar in Revelation chapter 6. And God promises them vengeance, but not until the sealed 144,000 martyrs join their ranks. In Revelation chapters 14 to 15, Jesus harvests his martyrs after they die under the persecution of the sea beast of Rome, allied with the land beast, the false prophet of the corrupt Jewish priesthood. Revelation 14 to 15 breaks down into four sections. First, the lamb and his flock, 14 verses 1 to 5. Second, the lamb and his message, 14, 6 through 13. Third, the lamb and his harvest, chapter 14, verses 14 to 20. And finally, the lamb and his song, chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. Let's look through each of these sections. The first section, the lamb and his flock, Revelation chapter 14, verses 1 through 5. Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps, and they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and the Lamb, and in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless." on the military fortress of Mount Zion. They bear the seal of their commander, the father and the lamb, on their foreheads, rather than the mark of the beast. They sing the battle cry of the new song that they learned from the heavenly host in Revelation chapter 5, and they consecrate themselves as virgins, which refers not to abstinence from sex, but a refusal to defile themselves with false worship of the beast. The martyrs represent the first fruits of the martyr harvest because they hold to the truth at the cost of their lives in opposition to the false prophet of the land beast. And now that the fullness of the martyrs has come in, the judgment of God can proceed, but not without three calls to repentance from three heavenly messenger angels. And that's the second part. We see the lamb and his message, verses 6 through 13 of chapter 14. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Another angel, a second followed saying, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, 
he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest, day or night, these worshippers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. In this section, we see three angels, each with a message. The first angel warns those who dwell on the earth, which refers to the Jews. Remember, we're translating earth as land. That's also another translation. And the multi-ethnic and multilingual Roman Empire. It encompasses many people groups. And he's warning these two groups that God's judgment has come. And this is going to foreshadow the seven bowls of wrath that come in Revelation chapter 16. So the first angel warns about this coming wrath, this coming judgment. The second angel declares the fall of Babylon, who seduces the nations with the wine of her sexual immorality. And this foreshadows Revelation chapter 17 to 18 about the harlot and the beast. There is this city that has become corrupt and is allying with a beast in order to create more wickedness and to persecute the church. And we're going to find out the identity of this harlot in those chapters. The third angel warns the marked followers of the beast that they will drink the wine of God's wrath and experience torment with fire and sulfur with no rest. This foreshadows Revelation chapter 19 to 20, which shows the destruction of the beast uh, and the dragon and the enemies of God. The fire and sulfur imagery draws from Isaiah 34, 8 through 10, which describes Edom's destruction. So John's language is working on two levels. There's a near historic judgment that he's talking about, that the fire and sulfur is actually Jerusalem that's going to be consumed with destruction soon in, in the year 70 AD when the Romans destroy it. So that's the historic judgment. But also he's got a further horizon, the final judgment of all things, the eschatological judgment, right, that we're going to see in Revelation 20 and 21. That's going to be the end time judgment. So the former prefigures the latter. So he's drawing on Isaiah imagery about a historic judgment in time over a city to point to a future historic judgment of a city and also a far future total judgment of all things and all people when God brings his final justice at the end of time. God's good news is bad news for those who refuse to repent. But for the faithful martyrs, God's judgment is the good news of justice and vindication. These eagles are crying out to the people who have slaughtered the saints that God takes note and he will avenge their blood. They serve as an example to saints and martyrs in all times. Keep the commandments of God and your faith in Jesus. Don't give up because God will vindicate you no matter what you suffer. Now we see the end result. We see the 144,000 glorified with Christ on a cloud. Now in this next section, we're going to see how that 144,000, which is a symbolic number, ends up with the lamb. And we see that in the process of two harvests in this next section. So we're going to look at section three, the lamb and his harvest, verses 14 to 20 of chapter 14. Then I looked and behold, a white cloud and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, put in your sickle and reap for the hour to reap has come for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. 
So, he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire, and he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1600 stadia. So we see Jesus, the royal son of man, swinging a sickle to reap the earth. We can see this in his Olivet Discourse when he talks about the harvest of the earth. In Revelation chapter 11, we see a story of two witnesses who symbolize the persecuted church under the sea beast of Rome. And these witnesses prophesy, and then they die. They're killed by the beast, and then they rise again in victory after three and a half days. Revelation 14 zooms in on that raising. It depicts that rising of the martyrs in vivid detail in the form of two harvests. This also ties into the black rider of the third seal that we saw earlier on in Revelation. Remember, in the third seal, there's a black rider who causes economic ruin, but there's this strange phrase. It says, God tells this black rider not to harm the oil and the wine. Why is that? Oil comes from grain, which is the first harvest of Israel. God preserves his oil people by harvesting the grain through their martyrdom. So an angel appears from the temple and reaps the land with his own sickle. So the first sickle was a grain harvest, bringing about oil. And the second sickle from another, from an angel is going to be the harvest of wine or the harvest of grapes. So he takes a sickle, he harvests the grapes, and these grapes are thrown into God's wine press of wrath and trampled outside the city. A wine press is like a, a bucket where you take all these grapes, and you kind of stomp on them, and that creates the wine. The juices flow out of it. So God's using this as a metaphor for something. So the, the grapes are trampled in a wine press outside of Jerusalem, and it creates a flow of wine blood that's 1,600 stadia of blood. That's just a lot of blood, right? It's a ton of blood flowing out. Now, at first glance, this appears to be God's harvest of judgment. But closer inspection shows otherwise. First, N.T. Wright notes in his commentary that Scripture regularly uses the images of vineyards, ripe grapes, and wine to symbolize Israel. God only judges unripe grapes. So, if these grapes are ripe, it means it's not a judgment. It's something else. Second, the grapes get trampled outside the city of Jerusalem rather than within it. Remember, Jerusalem is the site of God's judgment. So, if they're being crushed outside the city, that's not a judgment. It's something else. And we have a clue as to what that is. In Hebrews 13, verses 12 to 13, the writer of Hebrews says, So Jesus also suffered outside the gate, that's outside of the city, outside of Jerusalem, in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. When we put these details together, a powerful picture emerges. This is not a judgment, but rather a harvesting of the martyrs. In other words, the grape harvest is the grain harvest from another angle. The grain harvest is showing how the sacrifice of the martyrs is pleasing to God. The grape harvest perspective shows how the sacrifice of the martyrs brings judgment upon the heads of their persecutors. So think about this imagery. The 144,000 martyrs are ripe for martyrdom. They're trampled by their enemies outside of Jerusalem, just like Christ was. But the blood of their martyrdom forms the wine of God's wrath and it flows out and condemns Jerusalem. It's gonna pour out onto the head of their oppressors. God knows the suffering of his people and he will bring about 
their vindication. So these are two harvests of the martyrs, two perspectives of the same event showing from different angles. One from the ascent, the glorification of the martyrs, and second from the descent of the judgment that they're going to bring when their blood is poured back out on the people who had killed them. Let's look at this fourth part. The Lamb and His Song, Revelation 15, 1 through 8. John sees another vision. And this time, seven angels carrying seven plagues come out to complete God's wrath. The seals and the trumpets were the opening act. This is the final sequence of seven leading up to the destruction of Jerusalem, which is this final judgment in the book of Revelation. Let's listen. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing. Seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name. For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. After this I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was opened. And out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen, with golden sashes around their chests. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls, full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. So we see the 144,000 martyrs now in heaven, glorified, standing on a sea of glass mixed with fire. Well, what color would that be? It would be a red sea. Exodus imagery abounds in this vision. Israel crosses the Red Sea to escape from Pharaoh, the old beast. And the martyrs in Revelation cross the Red Sea of glass to escape the actual beast, Rome and false Israel. Plagues from the angels soon follow. But notice that the chronology flips. We have a Red Sea, we have a deliverance, we have an exodus, we have a song celebrating the exodus. But the plagues in Exodus come before the Red Sea crossing. But here in Revelation, the plagues happen afterwards. What gives? Well, Peter Lightheart suggests that this indicates there will be a second exodus. The first exodus is the 144,000 faithful martyrs uh, dying under Nero, the beast's persecution. And the second exodus in Revelation involves another group of believers, a flight of Christians who leave Jerusalem, which is Babylon the harlot. We'll talk about that in later episodes prior to its destruction. So there's a first wave of martyrs. Then there's going to be a second wave of Christians who escape the destruction of Jerusalem by fleeing the city. And we're going to see again later on how that plays out. But Lightheart also notes a connection between the grain harvest and the lamb offering. In Leviticus 23, the lamb is offered as a sacrifice along with a grain offering. Both offerings are consumed by fire and their smoke ascends to God together. They must go together. And here we see what? We see in the beginning of Revelation, the lamb ascending, Jesus Christ. And now here we see his martyrs ascending with him as a grain offering, as a harvest of grain. This is the Levitical sacrifice played out in the imagery of Christ and his church. The lamb must ascend with his church. The lamb must ascend with the grain. Now, the deliverance of the martyrs allows them to break into a song, and it's a song styled after Moses' song of deliverance from Egypt in Exodus 15. It's a bit of a remix. He says, this is not just a song of Moses, it's also the song of the Lamb. In other words, they're taking a familiar song, and they're adding in a new element in light of Christ, 
They're taking the Exodus motif from Moses and expanding upon it with a new song because of the new Exodus accomplished in Jesus Christ. That's why you can see there's some differences in the songs. But the song content and the themes are the same. God's judgment displays his glory as king of the nations. He alone deserves worship, not the beasts or the dragon that empowers them. And all the nations will fall under his dominion as he reveals his righteous acts. So the martyrs are celebrating their victory before it is accomplished because God's purposes cannot be thwarted. It's a battle cry. It's a rejoicing song. Song, worship, testimony, martyrdom, they all go together. And finally, we see the sanctuary of the tent of witness opening up. Now, when something in heaven opens up, it does two things. It lets martyrs in up from the earth, but it also lets God's judgment come out. And later, we're going to see an actual city come out. So his blessing also comes out as well. So two-way communication has been established between heaven and earth. And what we see is once the temple sanctuary is open, the tent sanctuary is open, seven angels are dressed like priests. And they bring seven golden bowls. Now, in the actual earthly temple, the priests wore the sashes and the whole getup, and they would carry bowls around for incense. And incense is meant for smoke to rise up from out of the bowl, the bowls facing up. But these seven angels, they're going to do something different with the bowl. The bowl is filled with God's wrath, with martyr blood, with martyr wine. And instead of flipping it upwards so that incense goes up, he's going to flip it over so that blood pours down. These are priests bringing judgment. And you see God's war machine rev up. The temple fills with the smoke of his glory. The bowls of wrath are about to tip over. And God's kingdom is about to invade. The climax is coming. Everything we've been working toward is about to happen. A great city is about to fall. People are about to face judgment. And God's faithful ones, his martyrs, are receiving glory and vengeance and a kingdom, just as Jesus promised, because Jesus went before them as the ultimate martyr, as the ultimate sacrifice, as a lamb who was slain, as now exalted as king of the nations. Mm-hmm.